Good morning. There's an old story that uh, you may have heard before about a man who survived the great Johnstown flood in America in the 19th century. As the years went by, he discovered that he had become the only living survivor of that flood, the others having died since. And so he decided to make a kind of career for himself in touring America, giving lectures on how he was the only living survivor of the Johnstown flood. This became so much a part of his life that he was identified for that very role. He, he absorbed it into himself and he couldn't really think of himself in any other way. And of course, eventually he got older and he died. And as he got to the pearly gates and met St. Peter there, uh, no, this is not a theological comment. He met St. Peter there, and uh, as he was welcomed in, he said to Peter, it's really great to be here, but there's just one thing. I, I, I'm, at least I was, the only living survivor of the Johnstown flood, and this has been so much a part of my life. I, I'd like to be able to talk about it here in heaven. Peter graciously said, that's no problem at all. Just settle into your room, and in a little bit, I'll call you and we'll get the whole assembly of heaven together so you can talk to them about it. The man was thrilled. And uh, after a while, Peter called for him and he was being ushered onto the stage. And just as he was being taken onto the stage, Peter whispered in his ear, Oh, by the way, I thought I would tell you, Noah's in the audience. It's all about being upstaged, really. And in some ways, the story today could be interpreted that, interpreted that way, but it isn't really. It's just about perspective. So far in our story of Jesus, we have seen him begin the first sort of murmurings of his public ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist and has had the voice of approval descending on him from his father and the, the Holy Spirit coming upon him in the form of a dove. Uh, some disciples have been called and the temple in Jerusalem has been cleansed. Uh, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We have seen how he had the conversation with Nicodemus in which he stressed the need for people to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And there must have been more than just the one miracle of the changing of water into wine as well, because Nicodemus said that uh, the very miracles Jesus did suggested that he must come from God. That's what's happened so far. And after that encounter with Nicodemus, we find these words in John chapter 3 and uh, reading from verse 22. Let me read it for you. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Jordan countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Enon near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan the one you testified about, look, 
he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So Jesus and his disciples were together. Presumably he was teaching them, it's not specified, but that's my guess, doing some teaching and training. And the scriptures say that he was baptizing, though elsewhere in the Bible we learn that it, uh, Jesus wasn't actually doing the dunking himself, his disciples were. But John, uh, not that far away, though the precise geographical area the Bible refers to is, is uh, lost in the mysteries of time now. We don't know quite where it was, but it wouldn't be that far away. John was still preaching his message of repentance and was still baptizing and still had lots of people gathered around him, including some disciples. Uh, but some of those disciples were a bit disgruntled. Uh, I guess it was all triggered by this Jewish guy who'd complained and moaned to them about their ceremonial washing habits. Uh, must have been one of the teachers of the law who wanted to nitpick some fine point of the law. And I guess in that disgruntled state, uh, the news that uh, Jesus was baptizing and gathering a crowd kind of irritated a little bit. Uh, it, it triggered a complaint. Uh, you know that man, that man who is with you the other side of the Jordan? Well, he's baptizing now and everybody's going to him. No, it wasn't quite true that everybody was going to him because we already have read that uh, a whole crowd was coming to John as well. But you get the kind of feeling that uh, some of John's disciples had. And I want you to notice three things about John the Baptist's response to all this. Uh, amazingly, they, they form a lovely alliteration. Uh, I'm not usually into that sort of thing, but it seems to work this time. I want you to notice John's response, his delight, his declaration, and his discernment. First of all, let's consider John's delight. Far from disgruntled or upset himself, John was utterly delighted with the news that Jesus was baptizing and that people were going to him. By the way, we've, we've no idea what the nature of Jesus' baptism was. The, the word baptize means to immerse. Was it uh, like John's baptism, a baptism of repentance? It certainly couldn't have been uh, the full equivalent of modern Christian baptism because that is all to do with uh, 
what happened after Jesus' death and so on. But we know he was baptizing. But why was John so delighted about this? Well, he himself gives us the answer in describing himself or, or linking himself as the friend of the bridegroom. Now, now that needs a, a little bit of understanding because so he was a friend of the bridegroom. But the word used here means more than just a friend. This friend had a specific role. This friend was called to prepare all the details of the wedding. He would be the uh, liaison between the different families. He would be the liaison between the families and those who are doing the catering. He would be responsible for making everything was ready for the wedding ceremony. And he was also responsible for guarding the bridal chamber and making sure no one else could enter it. It was a really important job and everything would hinge on him doing the job well. John likens himself to the friend of the bridegroom. And you can imagine in this particular role, if somebody's fulfilling the role, when the bridegroom comes, the delight would be extreme. Oh, at last, he's here. I don't have to carry this responsibility anymore. I have acquitted my task. And that's what this is all about. John says he's full of joy. In fact, he says his joy is complete because Jesus has come, the one whose way he had to prepare, the one uh, that he had to uh, make way for. Uh, his whole function in life, his whole calling was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. His job is done. His task is fulfilled. He has done his God-given job. And, and life's job for all of us is just that, to fulfill the task God gives us. Now, in some ways, that's a, a straightforward thing to understand. Uh, God calls us to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He calls us to uh, seek to turn away from sin. He calls us to, to walk with Jesus, calls us to show the fruit of the Spirit, to become godly, to grow to be more like Jesus. All those things are the common lot of our calling. But for everyone, there are specific tasks, often more than one, that God calls us to do and God wants us to do. And to discover those things is a part of the, uh, the joy of life and the, the importance of being a disciple. Uh, but our calling is to do that and not to fulfill roles that are beyond what God wants us to do. And John understood that. John understood the limitations of his role. I'm reminded of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 6 through to the end of chapter 8. Uh, Gideon, the, the least member of uh, the smallest tribe in Israel, is chosen by God to rescue the, the Israelites from the raids of the Midianites. And it's done in a quite remarkable way. If you don't know the story, read it for yourself. It's, it's quite wonderful, quite exciting. And at the end of it all, the people are so grateful, they want to make Gideon their leader, their king. And Gideon says, uh, no thanks, I'm going home. I've done my job. It's important that we understand uh, there are limits to what God calls, God calls us to do. And although it's not always that easy to know exactly where those parameters fall, we need to understand that this is not about our ambition not about seeking a pedestal for ourselves. It's about fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. So that, that's John's delight 
in the reality of Jesus baptizing and crowds going to him. He is really, really thrilled about it. By the way, some people have uh, expressed concern that in, in Mark, we're told Jesus didn't begin his ministry till after John was imprisoned. But there's no real conflict here because, to be honest, Jesus' ministry was uh, very much in its early stages. Yes, a few things had happened, but he was still teaching the disciples. He was still spending time with them. They hadn't gone on the road big time. So the two things do marry up quite well. John's delight was followed by his declaration, that famous declaration, he must become greater and I must become less. Um, it's a, a phrase which is often used or, or paraphrased in, in prayer meetings uh, as people try to point out that it's, it's not about us, it's about Jesus and so on. And that's all well and good, but sometimes we, we miss uh, the main point by thinking that this is simply about personal humility. It, it goes deeper than that. Uh, a few years ago, uh, an American gospel singer called Russ Taff, who most of you will never have heard of, but uh, is very famous in the United States and is a uh, part of a group of musicians that we're very fond of, uh, in a, a way which I haven't really got time to explain today. He came to the church I was leading and flew over from America and did a gospel concert for us and then preached the following day. He spent a few days with us, a, a lovely man, and had a, it had a, a, a wonderful impact on the church. And people travelled, people travelled from large areas of Britain to come to this gospel concert. Not hordes of them, but there were people from the north and from Scotland and from Ireland had come because they were fans of Russ Taff and his music. Now, Russ, in those few days, uh, got to know our son, David, who is also a musician and singer. And very graciously, he asked David he, if he would open the concert for him with, with two or three songs. And, and David, of course, was thrilled. And uh, when the concert came, he played and sang and was very good. But he knew his task was to prepare the audience for Russ Taff. David, my son, knew that this wasn't about him, although he had a role to play, his wasn't the, the main role. He had to prepare the way for the one who was going to come centre stage. And this is exactly what John did for Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus to become centre stage. From, from this moment on, it was to be about Jesus, not about John. John was to decrease, Jesus was to increase. There is maturity in knowing our calling, reveling in it, without being jealous of the calling of someone else. Over the years, I've known many people who sensed a, a real call from God to do what many would consider the ordinary and the mundane. Uh, one couple not long after they became Christians, they became Christians uh, in, in their 60s, I think it was, uh, they soon afterwards felt a strong call from God to move to be near to one of their relatives so they could help that relative look after their severely disabled adult son. And they did that and they fulfilled God's calling. Now, had they decided that actually 
because God was calling it must be to be a preacher or something like that, they'd have missed the point. To know our calling and revel in it without being jealous of what somebody else is called to do is part of maturity. But something else was going on here as well. John was saying more than just, oh, hi, folks, I, I'm going to back out of the picture now and Jesus is going to become uh, the big picture. He was saying something about what Jesus and he represented because John represented the old covenant, the old agreement between God and his people, the covenant based on law which had come through Moses. John was essentially the last of the Old Testament style prophets. And uh, he was uh, the end of, of that line. The old covenant of law was fading away. The new covenant that Jesus was bringing in, that covenant based on grace, the free and undeserved favor of God, was being ushered in. And of course, not long after these events, John was indeed arrested. And sometime later, he was beheaded. Uh, John had finished his job. He'd achieved what God had called him to do, and he knew it and he declared it. I must become less. He must become greater. So John is delighted that the, the bridegroom has come, delighted that Jesus is centre stage. He has declared clearly to those who are listening what this is all about. Uh, he must become greater. But then we come to John's discernment, which we find in the latter verses of our reading. John um, was aware of deep things in this. Now, there is a bit of disagreement among scholars as to whether these latter words are actually words of John the Baptist or whether they are the comment of John the Gospel writer after the words of John the Baptist. It's very difficult from the Greek to know that because Greek punctuation is not as consistent as, as in English. Um, so you can take it whichever way, but I'm taking it uh, as if they are the words of John the Baptist. John had been called. His birth had been an amazing birth and even miraculous, if you remember uh, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth conceiving in her old age, the angel appearing to Zechariah and Zechariah being made dumb because he didn't believe it at first and didn't receive his speech back until he agreed after the child was born that the child would be called John. All this was quite remarkable. Many had come to John in his remarkable ministry, in his remarkable dress. He'd, he'd been gifted as a powerful preacher and obviously had turned the hearts of many people towards repentance to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. But he knew that for all this, he was of earth. He was a human being, pure and simple, a, a prophet called by God to fulfill a function. And that's what he's getting at here. Uh, that which is of earth uh, is, is less than that which is of heaven. Jesus is from heaven, John is saying. Uh, this one who has come after me is different from me. This one from heaven is sent by God. Now, of course, in a sense, in these verses, we're finding a, a summary of all that's happened in John's gospel so far. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All this is what John is referring to here. He's been sent by God. Jesus, yes, fully human, is also the Word. God himself come to us as a human being, sent from the very throne room of God, is in a whole different uh, category to John. So sent from God, Jesus also speaks the words of God. Now, John could probably have claimed some of that himself in that he was a prophet and he sought to speak the words that God gave him just as uh, preachers would, would seek now to preach the words God give them. But this is different. This is Jesus who is in tune with his father at a level nobody else had been before. He is speaking the very words of God. When, when Jesus speaks, he's communicating the heart and love of his father. He is communicating his, his father, God's desire for all people. The words of Jesus need to be listened to. You'll remember at the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, we find Jesus telling the story of the wise man building his house on the rock and the foolish man on the sand. And the point of that is that the wise man is the one <clears throat> who hears the words of Jesus and does them, obeys them. The foolish man is the one who hears them and doesn't. Uh, the words of Jesus, his teaching is fundamental to our understanding of God. So he is sent by God. He speaks the words of God. And also we're told he's given the spirit without limit. Now here we have an allusion to the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus at his baptism in the form of a dove and resting on him. The implication of that is the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus and never left. And we, we need to remember that although Jesus was God, when he lived this life, he lived it purely as a human being. And he had to depend as a human being does on a relationship with his father. And the Holy Spirit was that link that he, he lived and ministered and moved under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. This is how God dealt with this whole situation of, of Jesus being human. <clears throat> so the Holy Spirit was given without limit to Jesus. And interestingly, the Bible also says that's how Jesus, now risen and ascended, gives the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. And uh, the call is there to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. It's, it's there throughout the New Testament. Uh, to receive the Spirit of God is what makes us born again and makes us the, the new creation that the Bible talks about. And that is why elsewhere, when Jesus says that uh, amongst uh, human beings, or amongst those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Because amazingly, and it's almost, it almost sounds like blasphemy to say, but it isn't. Amazingly, when we put our trust in Jesus, we too become those who are, are born from above and become from above rather than of earth. Uh, our home is no longer here. Our, our real destiny, our real place where we belong is in glory with Jesus. Uh, by that Holy Spirit given to us, we become identified with Jesus in this most precious thing. But of course, Jesus was, was unique in the level to which this was true. So 
we come to the sort of climax of chapter three. And John says, everything, everything, the Father has placed everything in the hands of Jesus. God has entrusted everything to him. That's amazing. That's amazing. We need to remember that Jesus wasn't uh, a separate uh, force to his father. He wasn't saying something different to his father. He wasn't in any way in conflict with his father. I and the father are one, Jesus said. He knew the mind of his father. He communicated the love of his father. He communicated the words of his father. He was entrusted with everything in terms of our salvation. He was entrusted with the task of bringing us from our sins into freedom, into relationship with God. Everything placed in his hands. And then comes the most sobering end to chapter 3. And it kind of sums up all that these first three chapters have been about. To believe in him is life. To believe in him is life. It, it echoes uh, John 1, 12, uh, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to be called children of God. And of course, John three sixteen, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now this word belief is, is an interesting one. Pe people believe all sorts of things, but it has no consequence for them. I've used the image before, but I'll, I'll use it again. If you are standing on the seashore, watching a boat on the water, even choppy water, and you say, I believe that boat won't sink, that is a form of belief. But this is not the kind of belief that is being talked about here. If you stand in the boat on the water and say, I believe this boat won't sink, that's the kind of belief that Jesus is, uh, is being talked in, about in the context of. That's what's being shared here, that uh, to believe in him means to trust him with everything, to stake everything on him and on his words. Now, to do that, we're told, is life. Now, there's a concern because there are many, many other voices which would claim our attention uh, many, many other philosophies, other religions. Uh, there are many cynics out there who don't believe anything has any real meaning. And people, uh, only people, are being knocked to and fro by all sorts of influences and manipulated by all sorts of people. And in the midst of all that, that reality of Jesus is there. To believe in him is life. To trust him is the secret, is the source of giving life meaning at all. To, to believe in him is to be spiritually born again and to live eternally without any fear of death. Yes, physical death will come, but no longer will it have a sting. No longer do we see it as something to be feared, but it is a, a transitional moment from this life to the next when we live eternally with Jesus. To believe in him, in him, is life. But the other side of that coin is also spelt out. To reject him puts us in the way of God's wrath. God's anger is against sin. Always has been. That which is 
in rebellion to him. God is angry about sin. Sin needed to be atoned for, and that is why Jesus died. We, we understand that, we, we've been taught that many times, but we need to realize that that wrath was borne by Jesus. The wrath of God against sin was borne by him because he took our sin and bore its consequences on the cross. And he, he stood in the way of that wrath so that we don't have to. But what's being said here very clearly is we only escape that wrath by being identified with Jesus by believing in him. If we refuse to believe in him in this life-changing sense, then we put ourselves in the way of that anger against sin and bear the consequences, the consequences being eternal death, uh, separation from God. The Bible calls it hell. You see, all these opening chapters are setting a scene for the ministry of Jesus. And what they're telling us First and foremost, above all else, is that everything centres in Jesus. He is the one through whom everything is being created. He is the one to whom everyone will ultimately have to give account. He is the one who has come to show us what God is like and to show us how we should live in response to what God is like. He is the one who has given his life on the cross and shed his blood that our sin might be atoned for and we might be forgiven so that we have the opportunity to seek to live a life which honours God. And he is the one who has poured out his spirit into our hearts to make us born again, to give us that uh, seed of eternity in our hearts which can never die, which in turn empowers us day by day to live more like the people we're called to be. It's all about Jesus, everything. Everything from beginning to end of life is about him and centres in him. So when John says uh, uh, he's got to increase, I've got to decrease, he's saying something profound about everything, really. Compared to Jesus, everything has to decrease. Everything finds its perspective and its place only when we put Jesus in his right place as Lord and Master of all. Well, I don't know about you, but I found this passage really quite exciting. Uh, you suddenly realise what seems like a fairly ordinary conversation is saying something so deeply profound, so important to our lives. Uh, John, the writer this time of the Gospel, is leaving us in no doubt. He's leaving us with no excuse. It's about Jesus and about whether or not we believe in him. So I, I need to ask you this morning, how's the trust factor? How's the trust factor? Is your belief in Jesus the belief that gets into the boat and says, I believe this boat won't sink? Or are you still standing on the shore where, you know, you say you believe, but if you approve to be wrong, it wouldn't make any difference to you? One way is life and the other is death. And I know which God wants for you. And of course, the way to respond is, is not difficult. The way to respond is simply to turn to God and say, Father, I'm not what I should be. I know that. I know I need you and I know I mess up. 
Please would you forgive my sin? Would you come into my life in the power of your Holy Spirit and change me from the inside out? I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for me and that he is the only hope of my rescue. A simple prayer like that, God will never ignore. A simple and genuine prayer like that will make a person move from the position of darkness into light and from death into life. And I know many, most of you listening will have already made that kind of commitment. But I'd say to you, don't forget what a life-changing prayer, what a life-changing commitment that is. And don't forget that we're then called to a whole life of believing like that and trusting like that. And if, if you've never come to that point in your life of trusting Jesus, believing in him with all your heart, the arms of God are wide open and his smile of acceptance of you is there if only you'll come. How easy it is to forget just how much God loves us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the words of our reading today. Thank you for John the Baptist and his understanding of uh, his role and the limits of it. And thank you for the way in which through his ministry we see Jesus uh, as he really is, as the centre of all things, Lord and Master. Would you help us as we continue in our lives to always keep him centre stage? Forgive us, Lord, when we sometimes try to put ourselves there instead and help us find our place in serving you and no fulfilment in doing that. We bless you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And we once again commit ourselves to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>